You're listening to audio from Century Baptist Church. To connect with us, visit centurybaptist.org or download the Century Baptist Church app. I think my mic was on that whole time. Was worship just so much better with that song? Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, Hey, I don't think it's a coincidence that today on Mother's Day, a day that we talk about the women in our lives that can do anything that we're going to look at walking on water. Uh, And so, yeah, thanks, Ethan. You you like that one? Um, First service didn't like it either. So third service isn't getting that one. I got to think of something new. Uh, If you would, let's go to Matthew chapter 14. We're going to start in verse 22. We're going to backtrack a little bit, overlap for what we talked about uh, last week. But as you turn there, let me talk to you about why we need to overlap. Because there is one massive, incredible uh, event, story that's taking place in this one day of Jesus' life. What started out as him receiving word that his cousin, uh, John the Baptist, had been murdered by the king, uh, which, as we talked about a few weeks ago, uh, it was would have been a, a a little bit more of a deeper, almost a, what you call a reality check for Jesus, in the sense that he knew that why John had come, and he knew what his role and responsibility was. Jesus knew what his end was going to be. John being murdered by the king could have been just an easy reminder of what was in store for for Jesus. So what we're told is that Matthew says that Jesus wanted to just get away by himself. Uh, as we all can relate to. When times get tough, we lose a loved one. When, when there's just things get heavy, we just need to get away and get alone. Well, what happens is that as soon as he tries to get off and to get alone, his disciples come back from their mission trip that they were on. He had sent them out to go and, and to, to preach the gospel and to perform miracles in the surrounding communities, and they did it, and they can't believe the incredible things that they had done. And so they come back, and they come looking for Jesus. They find him alone and interrupt kind of his just time of being alone. Uh, and, uh, and not only do the 12 come back, but also uh, it says that thousands of people followed them. As what happened, right? There, there's, there's news that's spreading. Incredible things are taking place. Demons are being driven out. People are being healed. These guys are talking about this, this guy, Jesus, that they need to come and see. And so... Jesus' quiet time is interrupted by 20-some thousand people. So Jesus says, uh, let me talk to them. So he preaches uh, a sermon that goes late enough into the day that the disciples come to him and say, you know, we should really send everybody home because everybody's getting hungry. We, we need to get everybody something to eat. And we don't have anything here except for these five loaves and two fish. And Jesus says, well, let me have those. And he blesses them he prays and he begins to break the bread and the fish and feeds what Matthew says 5,000 men and then not counting the women and the children so about 20,000 people he feeds with this tiny little meal and obviously like we we would just that it's that's mind-blowing so uh, scripture says that the people began to say this guy is somebody he's truly a great prophet is what John writes that the people said uh, about him um, and I would say that, uh, that that would be a pretty good day's work for, uh, for anybody, right? Anybody ministering to people, all that he had done, feeding that many people out of nothing, everybody's wowed by it. You would think that that would be enough, and Jesus probably pretty exhausted and just wants to, to get alone and maybe to take a nap, but for Jesus, there's a whole lot more that is to come 
And that's what our text tells us today. So if you're able and if you're willing, let's stand reading of the word. Let me just read this for you. Starting in verse 22. So immediately, in other words, right after he had uh, fed all of these people, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. After he had dismissed the crowd, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. When the disciples saw Jesus walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, came to Jesus. When he saw the wind, he was afraid and was beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus reached out his hand. He took hold of him and said, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, You are the Son of God. Father, this is your word. It is living and active and it pierces. And so that's my prayer. My prayer is that your word would do the work today, that your Holy Spirit would uh, just be active in our lives as we learn, as we listen, as we read. And God, let this be all about you. In your name, amen. You can have a seat. I just want us to focus in on uh, on who Christ is and, and just Jesus alone today. And what we first find is what happens when Jesus gets alone. First of all, he, he goes uh, off by himself to pray without any hesitation. He doesn't have to think about anything. He just sends immediately after he feeds all of these people. You can imagine the, the, the energy and the atmosphere of this miracle that just took place and, and how everybody would just be ecstatic, like, tell us more, do more, we want to see more. And Jesus knows what's about to happen. Matthew doesn't tell us this, but if you read the narrative of uh, this same story in the book of John, John chapter 6, it says that the people came and said, you're an incredible prophet, right? You're a great prophet. And it says that Jesus knew right away, he had sensed that they were going to try and make him king by force. So in other words, what Jesus knew was that, was that in their minds they were like, all right, we've just seen this incredible miracle. He's definitely got to become our leader. He's definitely got to become our king. He's a great prophet. So what would have happened is they would have grabbed him and basically walked him all the way up to Jerusalem in front of, the, of Herod's palace and say, you get off the throne because this is our nation and we want to put our guy uh, in, in your place because it's going to mean more for us. Because again, we deserve it. It's our nation. It's our land that God has given to us. And Jesus knows it. And so he has to, he has to send everybody away. Because it wasn't his time. Jesus knows why he came to this earth. He knows what his end is supposed to look like. About why he's not sent to this earth to be a king on a throne. But to be a humble servant to give up his life for the sins of humanity. I would think that it would, I mean, it would be a pretty good time. Now I've got the, the masses are following me and 
loving me and wanting to, to put me on the throne. But Jesus wasn't about, he wasn't about fame. He wasn't about anything when it came to, to being known. Uh, he was about making, as we talked a few weeks ago, about making the Father's name known, glorifying God. His time would come, and he knew that it wasn't quite yet. There was still work to be done. And Jesus, he didn't run away from the people and hide. It's just that he got alone because he had a higher priority. To get alone with the Father to pray. The people were the mission for Jesus, but the Father was the reason for all of it. And he said, I, I need to go and be with the Father. And he gets alone uh, to pray. What I love about, about Jesus and as followers of the model that we, we should take from him is, is that he didn't need any words of affirmation from anybody in order to be fully confident in his identity. He knew who he was, and he knew his purpose. I could learn a lot from that. Jesus cared deeply about people, but, but even he knew that the most important relationship that he had was between him and God the Father. Now, I don't know, it doesn't tell us what he prayed when he got alone to pray, but I have to imagine that, that a lot of it had to have been gratitude for what he had just done in the multiplying of the loaves and fishes. And I also have to believe that there's also have to be something in there about maybe even this tug, right? Just like Satan tempted him in the desert. You know, throw yourself off of this temple and I will, I will give you this, the world. And Jesus crying out to the Father, just keep me focused on, on my mission. Because Jesus was fully human as much as he was fully God. Real human emotions and real, a real tug. And we know, that, we know that Jesus knew his end and he begged God, please don't let me have to go through what I'm going to have to go through, the torture and the death that I am. But if it's your will, I'm willing to do it. You have to imagine there's all of this that's going into it. But what we seem to find as you read through the Gospels is that every time that Jesus, Jesus does something mind-blowing, which because it's Jesus, no matter what he does is mind-blowing, but these Huge events that we study, like the feeding of the 5,000 today, the walking on water, always begins in prayer. It always starts with the source of the power as to how he was able to do what it was that he did. Did he need to pray? Absolutely. Jesus didn't go in, into prayer just to set a good example for us. Jesus, in his humanity, called upon the Father for his power. How much more? If Jesus is praying, do we need to live a life of prayer and full dependence upon the Father? Think about your own life. I think about my own. How much time do, do, do we spend in prayer compared to how much time we spent making ourselves known to others? That's, that's a big piece of the world that we live in today. Man, if people don't know me, then, then I'm a nobody, right? So I, gotta, I have to make a name for myself. And it's not just about, you know, getting on social media or being on TV, whatever it is. Sometimes it's just I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grind this out, working my way up the ladder to get a position to finally get the respect that I deserve, right? We all feel it often. 
We don't want to be invisible. We don't want to be nobodies. It's a great example that Jesus sets. And he just says, look, I'm, I'm just doing what God has called me to do. And the people are like, well, Abby, you need to be king. And he's like, it's, I'm not interested. I'm going to go just be alone. Alone is better than going and sitting on some king's throne in Jerusalem. Jesus could see that the crowd's hearts have been turned to focus on man instead of God. And so, if anything, we should see the need of, for the power of prayer. He prayed before multiplying a tiny little lunch. Prayed before walking on water. First Peter 5, Peter addresses leaders in the church. And, and he says, I want you to, as leaders, I want you to be humble as you lead. It's a hard thing. For all of us, right? That as we start to rise up in whatever our positions are and the more people that get to know us, and Peter says, hey, be careful. Uh, you need to stay. If you're going to be a good leader, you have to stay humble. You have to be uh, humble. And then, and then he goes on to say, because the devil prowls like a roaring lion looking for somebody to devour. A lot of times we just take that verse alone. We'd say, watch out, you know, the devil is going to come and tempt you in a lot of different ways, which is true. But Peter says this in the context of people who are known or maybe even wanting to be known, or you start to, to have a, a little bit taste of authority over people. And I know people, they get one little taste and all of a sudden, man, they just start to press everybody else down. And Peter says, if you're going to lead, the best leaders are humble. They're quiet. They don't care about who they are. They care about the one that they follow and the one that they preach, and the one that they proclaim. So resist the devil, he says. Be firm in your faith. And then he goes on to say, the God of grace, who's called you to his eternal glory in Christ, which should be enough for us, chosen by God, children of his, of his will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. In other words, what he says is the only eyes that should, that should matter to you that are on you the only fame that you should ever care about is your name being spoken by God the Father, knowing that his focus is on you. And then he, Peter concludes verse 11, and so to him be the power forever and ever. He's the one that we get our power from, and that's the only thing that matters. We can't manufacture it for ourselves because it will fall flat. Jesus knew where his power came from. It came from, from getting alone with the Father. He got humble. Father, thank you for what you've been doing. You're making yourself known and you're using me to do it and you can continue to use me. Psalm 28, 7 says, The Lord is my strength and he's my shield. I'll trust him with all of my heart and he will help me and my heart will be filled with joy. We need to follow the example of Jesus and just say no matter what this world wants from us, whatever what I want for myself, I just want to be about whatever God wants for me. So God, do your work. And when things start to rise up, I'm just going to get alone with him and seek his face. I want to hear him speak my name because that matters more than a, a crowd of 20,000 on a hillside. So while Jesus is praying, uh, his disciples are out in this boat out in the lake. He had told them, you guys go on ahead. Uh, I'll meet you. Uh, on the other side. 
probably Capernaum, that's their hometown. It's not that far if you ever have been to Israel uh, where they say kind of the feeding of the 5,000 took place. It's really not that far at all, maybe a mile down, down the beach uh, to get to Capernaum. Jesus puts them in a boat and he sends them off on their own and he dismisses the crowd. And um, what happens is that a storm rages. And, and it's pretty typical on the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is uh, about 700 feet above sea level, but where it sits there in Israel, it is at the, really at the bottom of hills and mountains. It's, it's almost a, like a, looks like a crater. Everywhere around you, you're surrounded by cliffs and hills. Mount Arbel is uh, not far from there, and the base of that mountain begins coming out of the water of the Sea of Galilee. And so what happens often is that the, the warm air hovers over the waters of, of the sea, but then you get the cold air that comes off of the mountains and the hills, and it mixes together and it stirs up storms. And this lake that really is about, oh, about maybe eight miles at best wide uh, rages uh, storms that cause waves of 10 to 12 feet in height. Absolutely crazy. You can imagine being a fisherman and all of a sudden a storm rages like that, having to battle 10-foot waves, and this is what they're wrestling against. It was, uh, Matthew tells us they were so strong that, that it just kept pushing them out further and further out into the middle of the lake and out into the water. So here they are battling the waves, push further and further from shore. And I, we're not told this. This is my own kind of take on it. But I have to imagine they would have been maybe a little bit peeved, a little frustrated with Jesus. Because he's the one that asked them to go out. Right? I want you guys to get in the boat, go to the other side. Who knows? Maybe one of them's like, I don't know. It looks, it looks like a storm is coming. Well, he told us to go, so let's go. And he's going to meet us there. And all of a sudden, there they are, and the waves start to crash. And they're terrified. Some of them are professional fishermen, and they're all freaking out. In other words, they've never seen a storm uh, like this before. I wonder, I wonder if, just take that as an illustration. Can, I wonder if you can relate. You find yourself in the middle of a, a situation that really feels like that, an, an overwhelming storm that's raging in your life, whatever it is that's uh, surrounding you. And, 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 and you're like, Man, Jesus, I'm, I'm following you, right? I've, I've committed my life to you. I've said that I would do whatever it is that you want me to do, and, and this is happening to me? I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't deserve that. I'm being obedient to you. And here I am in the middle of what seems to be chaos. When are you going to come and fix this and rescue me and pull me out of this? You've probably all been there. They're obeying Jesus, but yet they find themselves in a storm. And it says that they fought the waves. They were exhausted because they fought until the fourth watch of the night. I mean, which also means because Jesus came out after he prayed, he prayed until the fourth watch of the night. The Romans had divided up the, the nighttime hours into these four sections exactly for that reason, just to keep watch. And they're broken down into three-hour segments. And so what this means is, is that it's now three o'clock in the morning. From three to six is the fourth watch. So, so these men have been out. They finish dinner. They, they get in a boat. They go out on the lake, and they fight the storm until at least three o'clock in the morning. I don't know, for me, I don't know what, what's more miraculous, 
the fact that these guys were fighting a storm, that they had the strength to fight the storm for that many hours, or as impressive as Jesus was able to pray until 3 o'clock in the morning, right? Just before the Father. What an incredible example that he did set. You're like, what? I don't, what am I supposed to talk about? What am I supposed to, people all know, what I pray about? How do I pray for that long? But as it becomes a discipline to you, as it was with Jesus, it just, it's conversation, it just flows. Praises and thanksgiving and needs and desires and getting into his word and listening to what he has to say to us. Jesus comes from his prayer time. He walks down to the shore, sees the storm, and he just keeps walking. On top of those waves, I don't know exactly how it all happened other than Jesus is powerful. He's, he's the God of the universe. He's created all things. He's got power over the created waters. And Jesus came out to them at a point where they just couldn't take it anymore. They're exhausted. They're spent. They weren't expecting it, that's for sure. Oh, where's Jesus? He said he's going to meet us. Hope he just swims. Out. He's not going to swim out to us. Nobody even, it wasn't even a thought in their mind that he would walk out to them. But Jesus came to them in the middle of what they thought was life-threatening crisis. And he calmly walks out to find them. 1 Peter 5, 6 and 7 says, Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and at just the right time, he will exalt you. So cast all of your anxieties upon him because he cares for you. It's a great reminder to us that Scripture never tells us that we're not going to have tough times in life. He just says, you just give me the worry and the fear that comes with it. Uh, and and at, the, at just the right time, when God says, when I feel it's necessary, when you've learned what it is that you need to learn, when you've understood what it means to trust me, at the right time, uh, I'll, I'll calm that storm. But I want you to know I'm in the middle of it with you as well. So call out to me. So all of a sudden the disciples look up and they see this figure coming through the storm. As the waves are crashing and as they're going down, you guys see that? It looks like there's somebody, looks like there's somebody out there. And, and they get a closer look. As Jesus gets closer, they sort of freak out because they think it's a ghost. And they cry out in fear, and Jesus says, Take heart, it's me, don't be afraid. Which the disciples should have said, easy, easy for you to say. Right? Well, what's going on here? We've never experienced anything like this. But the way that Jesus speaks it, as he says, Take heart, it's me, don't be afraid, really what he's saying is, There is no reason to fear because I'm here. You have no reason to ever be afraid because I've got you. I've put you in this position. I've sent you out, and now I've come to you, and I'm here. So you can, you can just stop worrying about whatever it is that you're worrying about. In the middle of the mess, the storm didn't stop. Jesus didn't show up, and the storm stopped. Jesus came out in the middle of the storm, and he speaks peace in the middle of it. In the middle of the mess. 
There he is. He didn't come to help row. Ah, I got to show you guys how to row. No, it's not what he did. He didn't come to help right the boat. He came to show them who he was. And for them to understand and learn that they can trust him, his presence. I'm here. And then I love what happens next. It's the beauty of this text. We, we really grab a hold of it here at Century as we talk a lot about going and making disciples. We talk about what it means to be a disciple. One of the characteristics that we talk about often is that a disciple of Jesus Christ imitates Christ at all times. That's our goal. Because if you, if you know and understand ancient Jewish culture, your dream as a young Jewish boy is to just one day uh, to become a rabbi, to be a teacher. As a, as a Jewish parent, that's the dream for your son. That, that you would grow up to, to find a rabbi that would say, you, follow me, be my disciple. And the way that you learned wasn't by going to school. The way that you learned to be a teacher, a good Jewish teacher, would be to just get on the heels of your rabbi and follow them everywhere that they went. And you just imitated them at all times. Do whatever they did. You took notes about the way that they would eat and, and, and how they would interact with people and, and the way that they taught scripture and you just inherited that and you basically became a, a carbon copy of your teacher so it is no surprise that when jesus is walking on water peter's not trying to impress the disciples he's not trying to put on a show what peter is saying is i am a disciple i want to be a disciple of you so badly that if it's you that's out on the water and i need to be like you then let me come out of the call me out and let me come out on the water because I need to walk too. Because if my teacher does it, then I'm going to do it as well. So call me out if it's you, Jesus. He wasn't even asking, is that really you? He knows. Really the wording is, since it's you and since you're walking on water, then let me come and do it as well. Because Jesus, I want to be just like you. And Jesus' response is, so come. Come. He didn't say, well, I mean... You need to understand this, Peter. I'm the Savior of the world. I'm, I'm God in the flesh. So I can do this. But you are mere human. Jesus was fully human. Walking on water. God's power for him to do it. To gain the attention of these disciples. And Peter says, let me do it too. And he steps out of the boat under the command of Jesus. So come. Because if anybody desires to follow after him, Jesus says, so follow Peter learns a pretty great lesson. He's doing the impossible because of his faith. Until he looks around. And all of a sudden he pays attention. Oh, you know what? The waves are still crashing. The wind is still blowing. And his focus all of a sudden becomes on the storm. And not on Christ. His faith turns to fear and he begins to sink. What Peter's eyes saw caused his heart to forget and immediately has to have him crying out to Jesus, Lord, save me. But that's significant. He identifies who Jesus is, Lord, save me, because I know you're the only one that can do it. Storms of life will often weaken our faith, cause us to question a lot of things, when in reality what we can learn from this is that that the storms that we face should be seen as opportunities to strengthen our faith, to draw us closer to Christ. 
that when the, when the, when the waves start to crash, when we get, uh, you know, we struggle to get a diagnosis, when we, um, you know, having relationship issues, when we lose a job, when, t- when life just starts to get really tough, do you spend more time focused on the storm or do you just turn to the one who's got power over it and says, not only am I going to get you through this storm, but I'm going to let you walk on top of it for God's glory. Hebrews 5, 7 says, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Because he acknowledged God as the one that would save him, and, and God saved. We need to do the same thing. Oftentimes, though, it's the reverse. God, you should save me because it's me, right? We put ourselves in the position of God. Not out of reverence for God, but out of reverence for ourselves. God, you know it's me, right? You know I'm going through troubles, right? Uh, you, sh- you need to do this for me. Peter, Jesus reached out and, and pulled Peter up because he's, he acknowledged the one that had the power to do it. Lord, save me. And Jesus reaches out a hand, he pulls him back up, and then he restores his faith. Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? It really wasn't a rebuke, it was a gentle way for Jesus to point out what was causing the trouble and fear. Doubt. Doubt causes trouble and fear. Doubt, uh, that Greek word, it actually means uh, trying to go two different directions at the same time. What's chaos? Creates all sorts of messes. As believers in Christ, we've got no reason to fear. We've got no reason to doubt. Doubt leads to disaster. We don't follow blindly. We follow the one that we believe is true because he's told us who he is. John 14, 12, Jesus said, Whoever believes in me will do the works that I've been doing, and they will do even greater things than I do. If you acknowledge me as Lord and you follow me and you desire deeply to do what I've done, Jesus says, I'll even see to it that you do greater things than me. Greater than walking on water? Greater than healing the blind? I'm in. God, use me. Do whatever it is that you want to do with me because I want to see your power at work. And you can use me if you want to. If It's if in a storm or not. I love... Psalm 77, David writes this really also very prophetic about the Savior that would come. As David says in verse 12, I love to ponder all of your work and meditate on all your mighty deeds because you're the God that works wonders. So so what David says, I just like to, 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 to look back at all that you've done in my life, read through scriptures and see all that you've done and be reminded of the great things that you can do in my life. And then he says in verse 19, He says, for your way is through the sea, your path has been through the waters, and yet your footprints are unknown. What it means is no one knows how you do what you do. In other words, no one knows how you can even walk on water. But all I know is what you do is great. And when I ponder all that you've done, it draws me closer to you and it encourages me greatly, David says. When we read about what Jesus has done, when we experience his greatness, it should leave no doubt 
in our minds about who he is. Jesus and, and Peter get into the boat. It says, when they got in, the wind stopped. And, and the, the rest of the, the guys in the boat just fall down and worship him. Truly, you are the Son of God. Remember, at the beginning of it, all the, the crowd, the big crowd said, you're a great prophet. What they just experienced helped them to realize who Jesus was. Truly you are the Son of God. And they worshipped Him. We talk often here at Century, especially among our staff, uh, about celebrating wins. We've got to talk about wins. Because in the world that we live in today, all of our conversations want to start with what's wrong. We want to talk about the storms. What we're supposed to talk about is how good God is and His power. And we celebrate His incredible works. And worship is a product of that. Is just proclaiming to him that we acknowledge his greatness and all that he has done. Hebrews 11.6 says, faith, Without faith, it's impossible to do what God wants us to do. But if you draw near to God, believe that he exists, he will do great things for those that seek him. Let's seek him. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Let's pray. Father, this morning we, we just say thank you. For the works that, that you've done in this world that are beyond our comprehension, God, I, I'll speak on behalf of everybody here today to say we want to see, we want to see you do great things like you did with Peter and the disciples, that you did with the thousands of people on that hillside. We want to see you do a great work through us. We acknowledge that because of your gift of your son, Jesus, coming to this earth, that, that we've experienced greatness. That God would give his life up for, for us as sinners. That we've been redeemed. You've done, Father, what is impossible for us. Only possible for you. Help us to cherish it, to live into it, to keep our eyes focused on you. And then as we go and make disciples, give us boldness and confidence that no matter what comes our way, we will let you do the impossible through us. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.